This is a Hive Mind Studio production. Hello, gods and goblins, deities and deviants, and my fellow what the fucks. You are listening to Playing with Advantage, a podcast about the different and various ways and styles and systems to play tabletop role playing games. I am Kenneth Moffat, a.k.a. Southern D&D, your host for this amazing and informative journey. And my co-host with me is the one, the only, James the Bard Bardwell. Hello, James. How are you today? Hello. Doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Uh, you're listening to what is the pilot episode for our show, Playing with Advantage. And uh, hopefully we'll get into some good conversation. Uh, but mainly your first question would be, who are these guys? Like, what, what gives us the right and the audacity, in some ways, to get online and to fill your, in your heads with information about various games and such? Well, with that, I'd like to present our nerdy resumes. Uh, Mr. James, you have seniority over me. If you'd like to go first. So, like, for me, uh, RPGs, I found those in D&D in high school, uh, like a lot of people. It was in a little bit of an unlikely place because it was actually at the field house of the football field. We would get done, you know, doing our stuff we had to do for football. And there was, there was an individual there who, you know, kind of transcended the whole jock thing. Um, he loved D&D, and he pulled a lot of our football team uh, into playing D&D. It was really formative for me. Because my journey with D&D, which began about 31 years ago, about how long I've been playing, uh, it was always kind of like a philosophical journey for me. It is kind of how I found myself. It helped me experience different worlds and parts of me that maybe didn't take the forefront in my everyday life. I learned a lot of my morals and ethics and things from that. And just been trying different systems and playing different characters ever since. Uh, loving every minute of it. How did you come across RPG lifestyle? Well, for, I'm sorry. First of all, I have to address something. You said you've been playing for 31 years. Yeah. I'm only 32, James. You've been playing. <laughs> well, I'm out. I'm done. Okay. I, I don't. I don't have the chops to do this anymore. I mean, it's been a minute, and I feel all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I I came about to to role playing games, TTRPGs, and stuff from a different direction. I grew up in the middle of nowhere in the backwoods of Mississippi. And I grew up very much in the country bumpkin lifestyle. There was camouflage, deer heads everywhere. And none of that really spoke to me as a kid. An uncle of mine left some books and stuff at my parents' house for storage. And I, you know, as most kids would do, I was being nosy and got into it. And there was a book written by Mr. J.R.R. Tolkien called Return of the King. I read it. It made no damn sense. But... There was something in there that kind of stayed with me. And as I grew up, I, you know, we'd go outside and, you know, I always leaned more toward the medieval style of games and fantasy. Like I would go out and have entire army battles with, you know, various things. And I, I wouldn't always win because I was an honest kid. <laughs> uh, but when I reached, you know, around 12, 13 years old, I started getting into video games and specifically games like Morrowind. Yeah. Uh, then later on Skyrim, Oblivion. And finally, in high school, no, college, my first year in college, uh, there were some guys in the local common room playing D&D 3.5. And I sat down, hated it because we were literally level one characters. We stepped outside this city called Waterdeep and four trolls attacked us. Level one? Level one. Like rats kill you at level yeah, one. <laughs> that, that dungeon master was not a great individual. And <laughs> I stepped away from it for three to four years, I, you know, people, hey man, you know, the new edition came out, this, that, and the other, you should play it. I'm like, no, that, that ruined it for me. 
Well, a friend of mine opened a card store, a game store uh, in, in my hometown, and I was sitting there and they were playing a tabletop game, but the system was called GURPS, Generic Universal Roleplay System. Yeah. I sat down with the, with the game master, as he called himself, and I fell in love with it. The, the role play, the miniatures, and it just it was a great, we ran that game for like three years. We became epic level. And about the second year of that, I decided, you know what, I can run a game. And uh, I made a Faustian barter with some evil eldritch entity to learn how to be a dungeon master. And he lied to me. I did not know what I was doing that first game. <laughs> but I fell in love with storytelling. And that's, looking back now, that's what, you know, the Return of the King and all the other fantasy novels I read did, is it gave me a love of stories and a love of storytelling. And so as I learned the different system and rules of GURPS, then 3.5, fourth uh, edition, which I hate. And now 5th edition, uh, I've learned more and more that while I love playing games, I love telling stories of being the Dungeon Master. And so I've run various games for almost a decade now. But the, the true like beginnings of mine was the fact it's just a general love of stories. So yeah, that's where mine came from. I approached it kind of a, at a different direction. It was a, a, a lonely kid who didn't like the current aesthetic of his life. You know, camouflage wasn't for me. I was never much of a big outdoorsman. But this world here, this world of fantasy, of dragons, of knights, of elves and magic, this was the place that spoke to me. And that led me to where I am today. So I, I really do feel like one of the biggest draws for RPGs uh, is that it allows people who sometimes feel maybe disenfranchised or maybe marginalized, oh, most, just not comfortable where they are. Most definitely. Um, it gives them a place, an opportunity. It's, it's like fruit for the disenfranchised. Yes. Um, I, I grew up also very country setting. My dad uh, broke and trained horses for a living. Uh, we were below median income. Uh, I've had a job since I was 14. Um, very much my gaming experience was different from my life. We we were playing during the satanic panic, right? And that, oh, yes. That was rough. <laughs> from, coming from a household that very much held those traditional values and stuff, playing during that time period. I remember the individual I'd spoke about before at the football field, I would get up at five o'clock in the morning on the weekdays and, you know, at, this predates the internet. So I'm going to put that out there, right? <laughs> so at five o'clock in the morning, I get up and this, this guy who was my DM at the time is waiting by his phone so that it only makes the one small moment of noise so that he could pick it up. So we didn't wake up anybody in the house, right? Um, because you guys this, had this figure like some clandestine. We did. Li we great. literally play an hour before school, <laughs> right, over the phone in hushed whispers, so that we didn't wake anybody in the house up because we would get in trouble, Just right? Imagine like, you. Okay, I would like to attack the dragon. Uh, all right, as the black dragon rears back its head, <laughs> it's like freaking D and D golf version. Uh, the sword is swinging, and now that is a natural one. Unfortunately, it's missed. And so uh, we were whispering into the phone. We didn't know it, but we were ASMR pioneers. Okay, <laughs> this this was us. You know, we we broke ground in that area. <laughs> but like like you said, it it gave people who didn't feel comfortable where they were, an opportunity to explore more, to broaden their perspective. It's like, I, I love my parents. My, my parents are great. They, they, they loved and raised me the best way to their ability, but they don't get any of this. They will tell you they don't understand any of this because my, my father was a sergeant in the U.S. Army, well, National Guard, later, later Army, and he was very much grew up the outdoor sportsman, yada, yada, yada. You know, when he had a son, he wanted, he wanted that. 
And he got me. Yes, I may look like I'm built like a linebacker, but inside me beats the heart of a nerd. And he did his best, like with comic books and stuff, but he never really quite understood this kind of stuff. And so it was a lot of times just me by myself. And then I go out places like, you know, as into high school and college, and I find other individuals who not only like this stuff, but are as enthralled as much as I am. And it helps also, you helps, you know, not just the disenfranchise, but you find out that you're not alone. There are other people. And now with the, with the internet, with social media, with podcasts, with the rate of advancement of technology, the boom we had during the late 90s and early 2000s, it's so much easier to, to look out and go, hey, I'm not alone anymore. There are people out there, for good or ill, who believe and like the things I do, and so I don't have to feel disenfranchised. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely brings a feeling of belonging, like, you know, familial fulfillment. Oh, yes. Um, one, of the, one of the fastest ways to forge a really strong bond of friendship is being involved in actual battle with someone, the battle buddy thing, yes. right? And Comrades like, in arms, most like, definitely. Right after that, believe it or not, is sitting around these tables participating in these games together because the simulation still carries a good bit of weight. When you are in a battle with somebody and you're down and your buddy comes to your aid, even though that happened to your characters in the game, it still affects you. You remember, you yes. know, and it helps forge those friendships, you know. It's, it's the whole thing that you get into the mindsets of these characters and and the fact that, you know, you know yeah, it's just, a, it's just a piece of paper on a table or not even that much. It just is in your mind. But you connect to them. You, you feel something for them. They, they often express a part of your, of your life or your psyche you can't engage with. And so the emotions you feel when, these, when the things happen to these characters, when, when they take damage, when they sometimes die, it affects you as though they were real. And so to sit around with people who have as much invested as your character as you do, it does tend to bring you closer together. It, 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 it does bring a true familial sense. And it's, it's a great, it's, I love it. it. You get to sit down and goes, who are these strange people? And within usually a session or two, you're going, I will die for him. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know a while ago you mentioned uh, the storytelling aspect of it. Um, and that the storytelling is that and character development are the two things that I'm most attached to in the game. The rules are good. The rules are necessary. I'm just not real good at the rules. I, I don't retain very well. Um, uh, there are more a set of guidelines than actual rules, if you ask me. But. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, when I sit down and play a game, I'm constantly looking for ways to explore my character more. And usually when I, like, when I build a character, I usually go one of two ways. I either want to look at an aspect of my personality that I don't get to participate in very often, and I want to explore that in the game. Or I am just looking to absolutely embody a character those are the two things i like to do you know um for me like how do you when you get ready to put a character together how do you prepare who that character is well it, it depends if we're talking about like a pc that i want to play or an npc it, it actually kind of varies because i if let's start with a, a player a pc a player character there's somebody that i want to play first of all i sit down and go what is this player's motivation uh, like, what does this character want to do with their life? What is their, what is their backstory kind of like? And from that, I build a personality from that. And then I usually give them like a little quirk or something like, you know, the, the dwarf that only likes to drink tea or the barbarian who loves to knit. There's these weird little kind of quirks that people attach. You can kind of grab onto and go, hey, I can motivate this. It's the same thing I do with NPCs. If I want my players to remember an NPC in one of my stories, I give them a quirk. I give them some small little thing 
that the players, it may be something as simple as they they twirl a pocket watch or or they uh, they have a funny little a little uh, tick they make with a noise, something that it it's it's against the ordinary, but it catches the player's attention yeah. and it pulls them in. It actually grows a friendship. Uh, now, like for myself, I've I've had games where no matter what I did, for some reason, you know, John Smith across the table there did not like my character. I don't know why. I, it's it's happened before. I have just maybe well, I don't like orcs or something like that. I'm like, okay, well, from that, I do something different. Now I have to show this man. Well, actually, now I can do the whole thing. One, I have to show him that not all orcs are the same. Or two, I can use that that animosity to better my character. To you know, to look at him and go, yeah, you may not like me, but look what I can do. Yeah, and it allows for building blocks and different layers. And I've had games where you know, I my my it was there was that the guy's character, his parents were killed by orcs. His character hated orcs. I was a half orc. I was proud to be a half orc. I loved my heritage, and he hated me for it. But there was a, a there was a session. It was a game where my guy saved his life. Like I stepped in and yeah. took a hit that would have put him down. And from that, like it was the whole uh, Legolas and Gimli kind of dynamic. Yeah, we yeah. we were still kind of at each other's throats. But if you mess with my little buddy, you got to face me. Yeah, and it's 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 great. I love that dichotomy. That's the kind of yeah, that's the kind of stuff I I do for different uh, different characters. Probably one of the most rewarding things in the game is when you're able to affect some type of change like that and actually see it play out in the role play. Oh yes, like that that is just amazing. Uh. Now we we like we talk about these different like characters and stuff, but I know a lot of people coming to this already know a lot of this. But for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, uh, these these games we play like it's not like this is not a video game. This is a TTRPG or a tabletop role playing game. And James, I think it's just best if we start off very simply. Explain what they are. So um, there are actually a few different approaches you can take to the same thing. Um, it is there. There are a lot of rules that can be involved, but the game itself tells you to let the rules function in a way that's comfortable for you. So uh, to start off with, there is a framework of rules that you work through in these books. For me, though, the the meat of it is the cooperative storytelling. Um, You have the game master, which kind of lays out the setting and the scenario. uh, And then you have the characters that uh, react and, you know, cause actions to come about. Uh, and it's just kind of a back and forth storytelling within whatever framework of rules you're using, whether it's Dungeons and Dragons or you know the Aliens franchise, anything like that. And the the variety within these uh, these these games within these systems is is immense. Like everybody, the most popular one obviously being Dungeons and Dragons, which is very not thankfully with the the latter uh, the latter editions that have come out, the various changes. D and Dungeons and Dragons D and D used to be very combat oriented. Very much. So. I think in like first edition you had what it was three classes. You had mage, fighting man, and thief. I think that's what they were. Yeah, and mage was just a recipe for disappointment. Uh, yeah, you weren't getting you, past level three. I mean, you have a D four <laughs> hit. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. But the the system was designed for combat. Yeah. Uh, you were always having to create new characters. Uh, second edition it added some more to it, but it was still just combat based. And as more and more variations or additions came out. It opened it up to allow for less combat-centric things, whereas you have, you know, but you have a, a system like Vampire the Masquerade. Vampire the Masquerade is heavily based in the role play. Yeah, like I don't, I like it almost. It's almost like the combat takes a a back seat to the role play aspect mm-hmm. of Vampire. 
Now, I know very little about Vampire the Masquerade. Oh, we used to LARP Vampire the I, Masquerade. I say, I brought I've up, been kicked out of a Taco Bell. You told me. I brought it up because I remember <laughs> the Taco Bell story. Uh, you What was it? Not, not Machiavellian. What was it? The uh, What was the house? Uh, Malkavian. Malkavian. The Malkavians. Yeah. They're the crazy ones. Yes. They are not allowed in Taco Bell. Can confirm. <laughs> Uh, for those of you wondering what the other part of the uh, the meat in Taco Bell was, uh, <laughs> but see, I and I I come at this mainly from originally in the the GURP system, and the cool thing about that is it kind of it's almost a, it's almost a midway between the D and D combat centric and the vampire the masquerade role play centric. GURPS literally generic universal role play, so it kind of sits in the middle where you have all this freedom with character creation, like advantages and disadvantages. Literally, an advantage you can take is fashion sense. And an advantage an is advantage fashion is sense. fashion sense. Okay. Uh, you you have all these, and it's there are so many, and then you can give yourself disadvantages, take more advantages, like split person and all this other stuff. But there were times in that game where we, I remember for three months straight playing at least one session a day. So we were going, you know, four or five sessions a week. There were times for it was a good three month period where we did not draw a weapon. It was straight role play. Oh, Every awesome. role was a role play role, and it was great. Some of the best sessions ever happened during that. And now we also had sessions where we, for like four sessions straight, because there was some big evil guy coming in where we were, it was combat the entire four, the full four sessions. Like we would play three hours, stop, come back in basically the same fight and keep going. But I love, and I love the fact that D&D has become like that to where you don't have to, like if you want a combat-centric dungeon crawl where you're just going into this underdark kind of area, killing things, getting loot, killing things, getting yeah. loot is great. And at the same time, if you want a system to where you attend a political party and there is an assassination attempt on the king, but now you have to determine who did it before this time limit runs out. And you can only do it through role-play aspects, through questions, through investigation. And the fact that you can now do that in any, and even in 5e is amazing because it doesn't just cater to the, uh, you know, Hulk smash kind of style. Yeah. One, one of the things I've always told people is whether you're a min-maxer or a role-player or whatever, your style of play is valid, right? You just kind of want to make sure you're at a table with people that also want to play that way or at a table where there's a DM that's going to take into account what everyone wants to do. And kind of see that happen. That, that's actually, that's a really big aspect of this is this is not a solo game. No, not you, at all. You sit down at a table with, I, I have ran a game with only two people in it and it was amazing. Yeah. I have ran a game with 12 people in it and it was a headache, but we did it. Uh, you know, the, ask, ask our friendly Updar sometime the story about how he healed a guy with a war hammer. It's great. Uh, <laughs> apparently, somewhat apparently folks, life is a disease, and he cured him of it. Uh, <laughs> but, but this is, it is a group storytelling game. And you have the, the dungeon master, the, the game master. There are various names for it across the systems. And to, now this is my opinion, to me, their job is to facilitate a story, to set a a baseline, yeah, and then to allow the players to build from it. I know more. I've heard more dungeon masters who like more control elements. Who I've sat in a game where literally after character creation, the dungeon master went, "Okay, what do you guys want to do? What? Yeah, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Well, what's the story? Oh, there isn't one. This open world. What do you want to do? I don't know. And that's a little bit too much because then you have yeah. no reason to advance the story. 
But it's like you said, sit, uh, that's why kind of like, like much like our episode zero here, you have what's called a session zero where the dungeon master sits down with the players and you discuss things. Okay, guys, what are some expectations from this game? What are some limitations? What are some boundaries that you have? That, cause that, that is a thing. I know a lot of people, the whole issue with boundaries gets a little weird, but you're, you're playing with friends. You want to enjoy this. And if you've got JP Edgelord over there pushing limitations because yeah. he likes it, because it likes the fact that it makes you squirm, that's not okay. That's not okay. And we'll yeah. we'll get it there. I we could I could talk for hours on red flags and things like that. And we'll probably do an episode about that later on. But it all in all, it boils down to this is a this is a story that nobody on their own can do. You have to have that happy medium between. Your dungeon master, your game master, your your uh for you know whatever it may be, and the players. Yeah. One cannot function without the other. And there was a, a time in my life as a dun as a dungeon master for about six to eight months where I didn't want to run games. Because everything I did, my my players would just blow through it. There was no no challenge to them. And I just thought I wasn't telling a good story. And I, I don't know what happened or why it happened, but one day I sat down and I was like, why, why, why don't they, they're not having fun. Why do we even run games? They're not enjoying my story. My story doesn't do this. My story, my, sto my, my, my story. Yeah. No, 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 no. This is our story. Yep. It's okay. If your players look at, and do something that you were not expecting, it's okay. If they blow through a part of your story that you thought would almost kill them, they're having fun. Yeah. And in the end, that's what it boils down to. The reason you play any game, be it, the uh, D and D, uh, be it a video game, be it a board game, be it a ball in a cup. You play a game to have fun. Yep, hundred percent. I, I think um, one of the worst things that can happen to an RPG is when the dynamic becomes the players versus the game master mentality. Oh, most definitely, because that that the power balance there is uneven because the GM can kind of do what they want yeah. to. Um, and unless you have a, a very mature person running the game, if it slips into that, you've your days are numbered for that campaign. Most definitely. Yeah. You you have to find a way to and that's the, what the zero session is for, right? To find a way to get everybody on the same page, move in the same direction, uh, to help them understand, look, something I do may wind up killing your character, but it I'm not killing your character so that I win. Yes. Right? That is a part of how the story evolves, you know. For, for our triumph to shine, to have meaning, we have to have those tragedies also. I, and I learned a lot of that comes down to what we call player agency, to where they have full control over their character in the game. Uh, like in an uh, uh, example I, I like to use is in D&D, &D, you have what are called, I mean, yeah, in D&D, &D, your character can die. But like most magical places, I assume most uh, fantasy and magic-based systems have kind of a uh, like a resurrection or a vivify type effect. Yeah. Well, in D and D, you have you know you know raise dead, revivify, resurrection, that kind of stuff. But I never liked the fact that it kind of took control away from the player in a way. And if, if you think about it, let's say that this character gave their all for their homeland. He he went down in a blaze of glory, defending his home, a, and dying a true hero's death. I like this guy already. He's great. Uh, and then the cleric over there who, you know, doesn't like the fact he died, walks over and goes, resurrection, and boop, he's back. One, that's kind of simple, and two, it kind of cheapens it a little bit. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what I have done, and I, I will admit, I, I am a student of one Mr. Matthew Mercer in this aspect because he does have some great ideas. Is I look at my player and I go, okay, I'm gonna let you know, you your character is dead, and they can resurrect you. But in the end, it doesn't matter if the God themselves of resurrection and life cast true resurrection on you at a tenth level. I'm gonna look at you and go. Do you want your character to come back? And we had an instance here where a care I did that, the whole ritual. I did not know what the outcome was until I looked at my player and went, okay, man, they have performed the ritual. The spell is cast. What happens? He looked at me and went, nothing happens. I went, there's the ritual fails and your character remains dead because that's real. That puts agency back in that player, even in a moment where, you know, that's the most. That's the, the that's the moment where that player should have the most control of, of all. Absolutely. Aside yeah. from character creation, is character death. Yeah. Do you want to come back? Well, I mean, I think another like from a storytelling aspect of that. Um, have you ever watched a TV series and like you love this show, and they're five years in and this is a great show, then they're ten years in and you know they told the story they needed to tell in five years, and they just kept going. You're talking about Supernatural, aren't you? Um, look. <laughs> Look, you should not call me out like that. I'm a Supernatural fan. And with the exception of the season where uh, Bobby died, if I, I would say spoilers, but like if you haven't seen it by now, that's your yeah, fault. Yeah, that's kind of your own. That's your it, fault. It, like, I've only ever, like, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan at all. I literally just sat and watched as a friend of mine. Even I know that. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but like when the story is told, you let that go. You know, that there is a natural course to take, you know, but... Sometimes, you know, we, we grab a hold of things and we want them to persist past the point where it's entertaining, right? Or fun for the player, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I definitely respect that decision for the player. I, I think when you have a spectacular death like the one you were talking about, you know, that's it. That story is told, you know? Let that be. Maybe bring it back as an NPC in a later game if you want to, some spiritual guide or something like that. You know, a creative thing to, to do with it, just to call out and honor that character. Yeah, that's... But, you know. It's like the one of the other players has that character's weapon, their bow. And occasionally in a big fight, especially if it was like a natural 20 or something, I will give kind of the uh, a familiar a familiar sense or a, you feel as though a presence is there with you, that kind of thing, where you, you harken back to them. But, you know, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's really great. It allows for great role play moments, too. That's that's another big thing. Just I love good role play moments where something happens that you can harken back and bring your characters in for full immersion. And that kind of stuff is just great. Is there anything that you do like to prepare people in the zero session um, for the role play aspect of the game? Because I know that's a really intimidating part of the game for a lot of people. It and is, as especially now. Uh, it's uh, they they refer to what's called the critical role effect, where they see all these like professional actors playing the game, and they're all doing voices, and they're all doing great role play, and they're like, "I have to do this." I'm like, no, no, you don't. Uh, you you don't have to. You know if. if it doesn't matter if you play a, a goblin or whatever. You don't have to, you know. I know voices are difficult. Yeah. Uh, personalities are difficult. You don't have to role play it. But so in my session zeros, so I sit down. Uh, what I tell everybody is that you know, I am more of a role play centric dungeon master. I like, I enjoy conversation, that kind of stuff. That does not mean you know you have to do a voice off the top of your head kind of stuff. But it just means that I, I would prefer if you yourself kind of got immersed into the story. And it could be a simple thing of going, well, my character walks over to them and wants to talk to them in a way that might convince them to help us. 
That's great. That's role playing. You don't have to be. I stroll over to the barkeep and go, barmaid, let me get your fire and try to. No, that's that's I me. Mean, it's also role play, but I also tell them like this. It can be very daunting, especially if for those of you know, look as children, we all play pretend. Yeah, we yeah. we all we all had invisible best friends. We all played pretend. And I try to impose the the thought process that that's what this is. This is a first of all, this is a safe space. Anything that happens in here, it stays in here. It, it doesn't, you know. I, I do. I am very much against letting you know real world kind of stuff filter yeah. in. This is an area for you to come to relax and just have fun. And if in a way, D and D is a lot like therapy, right? It is. It is. I I can't tell you how many people like I I've got certain I have certain players that. They they will go like you know, dude. My my day sucks, but I come here. I I unload on a on a rage and re- reckless attack, and I load on some goblins, and I go home feeling happy. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, it's like well, it's uh, it's, it's like D and D is a uh, is a um, it's a way to just kind of remove yourself from the uh, bottomless expanse of sadness that's become our world recently. AKA, it brings out your happy. Yeah, uh, I've actually been able to work through like personal things and oh. while playing D&D. Similar, uh, yeah. Also, like, running games. Uh, I wrote a scenario not too long ago for a session. It, it was just a little short campaign thing that we were doing. And uh, there was some issues between a father and son in this scenario, right? And then there was a point where the players brought the game past where I had really intended for it to go. Like, it was, it was intended for there to be this fight. And these father and son were, like, these you know, opposing forces. Yes. And they brought this game to a point where their, their issues were being resolved. And like, I, I'm trying to read this portion that I had written in this excerpt to kind of like move the story along. And like all of this resolution that was happening pretty much brought me to tears. And that was a personal thing yeah. for me. And it's amazing that even though this is a storytelling game, we are getting together and pretending it's amazing how often that real world, real world issues get addressed within this scope. You actually you mentioned something there about how, like, even as even as a dungeon master, in moments where I have written and prepared for, I am still moved to tears. The fact that, uh, like, why do you think that? And it kind of harkens back to what we were talking about earlier. But why do you think that sometimes real world emotion, real emotion for these characters, is brought out through the players? Like, I, I have had sessions like to like where where the one person when the one character was killed they had a funeral session I'm sitting there doing this very somber moment and I look up and you know the, our our you know our big half orc barbarian the player you can see him kind of reaching up and kind of wiping leans forward and goes I'd like to sit last watch when that kind of stuff and I'm I'm sitting here going hold it together man hold it together because if you lose it everybody else loses it yeah but but it's kind of why like again it, we've kind of touched on it, but that fact that these 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 ten, these imaginary characters that sometimes don't even exist in a miniature form that we attach all this real world emotion to. Why do you think that is? So resolution in real life is hard. God, yes. And it's scary. Yes. So most of the time we distance ourselves from it and we avoid it. However, within the scope of this pretend realm, of this place where, you know, we are characters experiencing a story together. It's easier to approach. And when you get close to that, you will inevitably realize that you're dealing with actual issues that you have. You've just found an easy way to approach them. That's something I think that RPGs provide for you. They give you an opportunity 
to approach things that you would normally distance yourself from and address them. It's like, like you say, because in real life, you don't get to set the boundaries sometimes. No. Uh, often, to quote, you know, uh, uh, to quote uh, Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park, boundaries are busted sometimes violently so in, in the real world. Yeah. But here at a, at a table with what I, it's, it's something I refer to as the protection of belief. The fact that this is all imaginary, that there is a certain bit of protection allotted to your imagination. At any moment, you can go, okay, no, I, I don't want to face this. I'm done. And that's fine. I will tell my players, look, if something's going on that you that you get uncomfortable with, look at me and go, uh, GM, I don't like where this is headed. Can we please stop? Yeah. So like um, Beck, one of our other GMs yeah. that that we you know associate with, um, they actually give out like red flags yes. during zero session. And if you're getting close to one of those areas, you know, that player can just put that flag up. And that lets the DM or the other players know that, hey, this person that's a part of the story with you is uncomfortable in this aspect, right? Um, and I, I think that's a really good oh, yeah. idea, you know, because it, again, it helps keep it. Yeah, and and nobody likes to be called out. That's yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, this will be, yeah, the, because it's the, the main focus of these games, like I said, is to be enjoyed, is to have mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. And, if I mean, look, I have been in games where, like, I I have worked through some issues with past things that I could not work through at the time because I couldn't take the point to sit back and go, "How do I want to come at this issue?" Yeah. Uh, now we're not saying D and D should be a replacement for therapy. God, God, no, no, no. It's it's it, it should not be. But I occasionally felt like I owed my GM some money at the end of the <laughs> session. Uh, just so I could square up because I got something out of it I didn't expect. <laughs> That's right? fair. That's fair. It's it's. Like if if you if you need help, please seek help. That 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 absolutely. is absolute seek help. But it is okay if you walk away feeling better than you walked into this game. It, it's not. A, it happens a lot. It's because that you know happiness brings endorphins. The endorphins are the feel good chemical. I love me all. some endorphins. They're delicious. Ah. <laughs> uh. But so yeah, uh, we something we kind of mentioned about like I I said you know miniatures and tabletops and we could talk about this kind of stuff. What do what do people need to begin to play? Be it Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder, Vampire the Masquerade, any of these tabletop games. Where would be a good starting point to kind of to to go from? Where would you think that would be? Um, so be, because I'm so much into the storytelling side of it. Um, for me, the bare necessities are a place to sit, a thing to write on, and a thing to write with. Um, for me, that's the bare necessities. That's fair. However, um, dice, really important. <laughs> um, also addictive. Uh, I, I, I'm definitely, I, I would like to say I'm a dice goblin, but like, even though I have a hundred sets, I've got like four <laughs> in my dice roller that I play with. So dice, um, dice you yeah. need dice. Uh, someone should have a copy of the rules. Yeah. Um, because I know you know we talk about storytelling a lot, and storytelling is the that's my jam. I love that part of it. But if you don't have a framework, um, it, trust me, as someone that is far more storyteller oriented than rules. You do have to have a framework. So somebody needs to have a copy of the rules that you're all agreeing to. Um, some dice and intention to have a good time. Like you mentioned the rule. I'm actually reminded at one point, I think uh, D&D, there is a format to where the each player kind of takes in turn to act as a dungeon master. 
Like they not only do they give their players actions, they give everybody else's reaction to their player. And it get I've sat in a one session, I don't know if it was an actual thing or not, but that got very confusing. Yeah. Which is and it's kind of a, a segue into what I believe uh mainly just because I, I am one, the most important of the chairs at the table, and that is the chair that sits at the head of the table. Yeah. It's actually not the most important, folks. The, the, the dungeon master, to me, is not the most important person, but he's one of the most necessary people. Yeah. Which is sad because not everybody wants to be the dungeon master. Yeah. that That's why we have the term forever DM. Once someone acquiesces to that position or chair, uh, it's real hard to get out of it. Like I said, it's like you make a Faustian bargain with some eldritch creature. Yeah, you better enjoy it, because if they get you there, it's hard to not be there. Um, I I recently transitioned back to being more of a player than a GM, and I have to admit, I really, really enjoy the player side of it, um, because it is less of a commitment time-wise. The GM, a lot of people don't realize how much a GM puts into a game. You have, yeah, I mean, it's... Like right now, I'm a player because I have more things going on in my life and I can't commit to do justice to the GM position. Um, So how much prep do you put into a session? Okay, well, the actual story itself, like if you want to look at my notes, you will see I have a bunch of like, paragraphs and sentences but if you read them they're just like npc names or this thing happens i have look my first session i thought i was slick i wrote down what my npcs were going to say i wrote down what my players were going to (laughs) say how they would react to them and all this other stuff and in the first five minutes i had to rip up everything in that notebook everything everything the i've learned that a, a main uh a, a mainstay in, in being a, a maybe not a good GM, but an effective GM is the ability to improv, the ability to go yes, but, or yes, and. Uh, and I look, I understand not every idea your players are going to have or do is either proper or correct. And sometimes it's okay to go, Let, let's let's back off of that a little bit. But for the majority, like my, my notes are pretty much things that on my end I can control. Like people they meet and interact with, what monsters they may face, that kind of stuff. Uh, I usually have, like I have a, a box of character with me that has potential miniatures that might be needed and that kind of stuff. But for the actual prep for the session, a lot of that is, it's left up to the players. Like I, because as a dungeon master, you have to realize that when it comes down to it, you don't control a whole lot of the game. Especially if it's like a homebrew world and your players are are kind of left to their own devices, you have to learn to roll with the punches. I've got several. I've kind of had to come up with several tips and tricks to make sure that hey, they can still have their agency and do what they want, but my but the story can still be progressed, and we can get into that at a later date. Yeah. Uh, but coming back to like what is needed, like you, uh, thankfully to like uh, like with Critical Role, you see Matt Mercer, the beautiful. The, the battle maps and all the miniatures and stuff. And look, that gets expensive. I yeah. know for, I know for a fact <laughs> that miniatures get expensive. Can confirm. Can confirm. But here's the thing. You don't have to have them. There's an, there is an element of, of role-playing games uh, that's called the theater of the mind, yeah. where everything is done. It, it, it can literally be done sitting in a car driving somewhere. <laughs> you could just sit there with, the, you know, have a little little thing to roll your dice in and talk. Uh, but you don't have to have the big battle maps and the big miniatures. I am I am blessed and privileged that I am in a place where I can do that kind of stuff. 
But if, like you said, as long as you've got one person with the rule book, a couple people with pencil and paper, and a few, and actually the first edition, there was only one set of dice. Like, yeah. you, that was it. You had the, dun- the, the dungeon master rolled everything we for have, you. We have four of us shared a whole set of dice between us uh, <laughs> many times. We've played card D&D, too. We, oh. I think we just had a dice roller on the phone. <laughs> um, and then there was, like, I believe I was running that game. We were in the front seat. Uh, I was in the front seat, and we just played D and D. You know, it was a, a van full of us, and it was a lot of fun. It actually worked. I was surprised. Yeah, I thought will, it was going to be a hot mess. It's going back to the technology. You know, the whole thing that you can you can literally have an entire set of dice in your pocket. You know, uh, like I often make the joke because my my mother's a math teacher. I love messing with about it. You know, didn't you say that I would not be walking around with a calculator in my pocket for my entire <laughs> life? You you told me a fib, mother. How dare you? But yeah, and that's the thing. Technology especially has really opened up avenues for tabletop role playing games, and actually for what they call nerddom as a whole. Yeah, the fact that you can you can interact with more people, you know, like via via discords and TikToks and YouTube and all this other stuff now. I think we'll have to do an episode about technology's effect on role playing. Most, most definitely. There's just a lot. Most to cover definitely, there. yes, yeah. yes. That's another one we'll have to do. So you had mentioned, um, you know, the prep stuff yeah. that we were talking about. I, I think for me, I would say the big three things for being a a good GM is one, familiarize yourself with the rules in as much as you are going to adhere to them. Um, two, you would need to work on improv. Most um, definitely, that, yes. that is that is probably the biggest hurdle, uh, because a lot of times you'll get into situations where, pretty quickly actually, the group has decided that what you spent all of this time preparing is not what they're interested in. Touch on that for a moment. the 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 game I run here for for the big group, uh, their their first session, uh, their session zero was them in a tavern. And I had expected them to, again, I expected them, but they were supposed to notice a few things and they would smell something. Whether the dice gods were just having a laugh or if it was, you know, they could not roll high enough to identify what this was. All they knew was it smelled like almonds. And so one of them went off to the, to like the, the, the bowl of peanuts and such, started digging through the bowls of peanuts, (laughs) uh, Another guy is like going back in the larder and this, that, and the other. And finally, I did what most dungeon masters do is what, AKA is it's, it's called the DM faint or you throw your players a bone. And they finally figured out that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a poison. The poison yeah. smells like, like almonds. It's like, it's like cyanide or arsenic. Arsenic. arsenic yeah. 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 Uh, and so, but it was, I'm, I'm sitting there going, man. Um, so what was supposed to be literally a 32nd of you recognize this, you make this roll, and you know that certain poisons smell like this became, I know there's almonds in here, I can smell them. And it just, it was, I'm sitting here going, and that's just really, wow, God, okay. Yeah, like the improv is is super important because you never know what one of your players exactly. is going to pick and decide, this is the thing, this is what we're pursuing. <laughs> I, look, I, I, I like to think I can get a good read on people sometime. I know my player's going to do something. And then they do something. I'm like, HTPP 404, execute not found. Yep. Uh, error. Error. <laughs> error. Danger, real whopper. That danger. Danger. Wow. Right there. My tongue didn't work. Uh, <laughs> no, but actually, in the first thing you said, talking about that, you know, uh, preparation for the, the dungeon master, knowing the rules and knowing what rule, knowing what rules you're going to adhere to. And also, Making sure you adhere to the rules. Yeah. Because, look, I admit, Dungeon Masters, we have the screen for a reason. 
Yeah. But you still have to be consistent. What is good for the goose should be good for the gander. If you let, if you fudge this role for this person because, hey, they're your best friend and they're your ride here, don't don't do something different for somebody else just because you know yeah. they they don't have that same connection. Yeah. At the table, all people are equal. Probably one of the biggest rules flexes I've ever heard about. I actually didn't see this, but that I've ever heard about. Um, there was this young kid. I think he was around twelve or thirteen. And he was running a session at a library for some other kids. And, uh, you know, the fight went really well and ended at the, you know, perfect time. And everybody was had a, just a great time. And the guy who was over the group, the the older gentleman, he came up and he's like, hey, you know, how did you put that fight together? Because that went perfectly, you know. And was talking about, you know, well, uh, how many hit points did that dragon have? I think story. it was a I dragon. Love this story. Yeah. And he's like, well, you know, I didn't keep up with hit points. It's like, well, how do you know when it's dead? He's like, when it stops being fun. When it stops being fun. Yeah. That to me is one of the best examples of flexing the rules. I, I will admit, and finally I can let my guys know there was a fight that my natural ones took part in to where there was a big fight. It'd been going on for about an hour and a half. And the guy still had close to half his hit points left. But they've been dealing massive damage to this guy. They've been tearing into him. And in a moment of brilliant role play and brilliant action and a natural 20, uh, one of my players, uh, the <laughs> uh, it, was our, it was our Emerald Dragonborn, uh, did something that was so amazing and so theatrical. I looked down at the you know over 80 HP this thing had remaining and went, let me wipe that eight away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was great because there was a moment like you could feel the the energy at the table was this is a turning point this is a you know this uh this is that moment where we have found the the weapon we have we have fired the arrow at the heart of smog smog folks not smog smog we have fired the weapon the arrow at the heart of smog he is about to go down and if I had went okay and he turns and faces you that would have just ruined everything yeah but I could feel the energy and as the dungeon master you have to make that sense of what's more important. My character or my players? Yeah. And I will always choose my players. And Every it, it was time. a great moment. There was, a, you know, there was roars of approval, and it was just amazing. The bard went down, and we had to resurrect him. It was great. So one of the things that um, probably over the last 10 years, this is a way we've kind of been playing, um, is episodic, yeah. right? The, the You have the overarching thing going on. Then you have the seasonal thing going on, and then you have what we're dealing with this episode, right? You're basically building a pyramid scheme. It, I mean, but it works <laughs> it so works. well, you know. And I think that's because it plays into the theatrical nature of the game. The, the, what you're talking about with the arrow, and you know, going into the heart of the dragon, and that's you know, that's the theatrical moment. You don't want to disturb that. I think arranging things in that theatrical way, you know, the episodic way. Yeah is really beneficial for the game. Well, let's let's look at what probably is the most quintessential example of fantasy, and that is, again, harking back to Tolkien's work. The man. The, the man, the, you know, the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, <laughs> you know, the the Hobbit, and then later the Lord of the Rings. Uh, if you want to slug through the Silmarillion, more power to you. I've tried. I read ancient Hebrew, and I could not get through the Silmarillion. <laughs> uh, I get to the part where, uh, where, where the spider is destroying the two trees of valor. I'm like, nope, I'm out, I'm done. Uh, but anyway... Because if you look at, let's let's take The Hobbit. That's the one he wrote first for the children's book, The Hobbit. It is very episodic if you think about it. Yeah, the overarching story is the the party of 13 going to the Lonely Mountain to Erebor yeah. to reclaim the gold. 
and through that they go through Mirkwood. They're the the spiders. Uh, then they have to deal with the Men of the Dale, and then uh, just all this other stuff happening. And even in the movie, yeah, they add a lot more into it, but it was very episodic. But it never lost track of that overarching theme of uh, recovering the recovering Erebor, recovering the uh, in the movie the the Arkenstone, but in the book, recovering the the lost treasure of Erebor. Even when they killed off Smog. You're like, okay, cool. The big bad is, wait, there's more? There, there, <laughs> there's more? And then, yeah, it, it was great. And I think that that kind of, because it's it's episodes. At the end of each episode, we all love the to be continued. Yeah. But we love to see an episode end with everything wrapped up. Yeah. And then for the, your players to go, yes, we've did this. We've killed this character. We've fought this big bad evil guy. What in the world is that? <laughs> and you just continue on. And it's great. It builds and builds until finally, you know, like I say, you're you're standing atop the Mount Celestia. Vecna having restored his hand and his eye in his book. For those of you who get the reference, for those of you who don't, I'm sorry. Uh, and it's just this final big, bad, overarching, universal villain and now we go to initiatives, and that's 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 the end of it. You've built them up and built them up and built them up to now they have. Well, we thought this was the end. We know there's more than this and this, and finally, you know, you have the closing of the chapter, the closing of the book. Probably one of the the worst tortures I have ever had to live through, and I'm still in it at this moment. Um, our Stagande game that we were streaming, the last session we had, we had aggroed this big nasty thing in the woods, and we're we're like. Level three, level we're, we're we're low level, right? And this thing is this just hell beast looking darkness monster. We aggro it, and that's the end of the session. You know, which <laughs> our our wonderful DM Brody had us on that cliffhanger. Well, COVID happened. That's been two years. <laughs> uh, You're still hanging on that cliff. Yes. Uh, this my arms are tired. I, it, like it is. I I'm love the. I'm reminded of the uh, the thing from the the TV show Between the Lions, and that's why he's called Cliffhanger. It's like he never gets off the cliff. It's always there. But uh, that, look, I love I love a good cliffhanger. My but players players hate cliffhangers, and you as a dungeon master, I, I literally had them go. Okay, as you get to this place, you're standing there, and you know yada yada yada, and suddenly you hear a roar, and we'll come back here next week. And they get so mad. You're like, what was it? Was it helpful? Or, you know, the my home game Wednesdays, it literally ended with a frost giant stepping into this dungeon where they just faced two undead frost giants and a spectral uh, a spectral assassin. And suddenly this frost giant steps in just glaring at them. And that's where we ended it. They're like, because <laughs> they're like, they're, they're down in spell slots. They're down in HP. They just had a hard fight. And now they don't know what's going to happen. I'll tell you what I love about that. And this this is going to touch on the technology thing just a little bit. Uh, we have a Discord set up for all of our games now, right? And it's everybody in that game in that Discord. And what I love about the whole cliffhanger thing is when you have that moment oh, and then you end the, the game. Conversation. Yes, the whole week the Discord is just blowing up. You know, that's probably one of my favorite things. Oh, I like I I have like I have a Discord for some of my games. I love going back in and just seeing the the different conversations the players have with each other, be it in character, out of character. The hey, what did you mean by this? Or did you and th that kind of stuff? Because you just you sit and watch as you can tell they don't know what's going on. Yeah, but they're invested, and that's the point as a dungeon master where you you get fulfillment because. Going back to that time where I was, I'd stop. It was because I was looking for fulfillment in the wrong place. My idea of fulfillment was that you know 
uh, I'm enjoying this as much as my players are, or even even more so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But now I look at it and go, I look at all this other stuff, and to what, like, because I've had sessions where I'm like, okay, that wasn't a strong session, or I don't think things progress as far as I wanted them to, and I jump in and watch the discords, and I'm like, man, do you remember in that last session yeah. when that happened? I thought, and I'm, and it make, and it, you have to kind of smile. And go, okay, I'm, my guys are having fun. I'll have to admit, having the discord and being a GM running a game with the discord. Um, it, I, I get that feeling all the time. I don't think I'm doing a good enough job, yeah. you know, and it helps reassure you. It keeps the DM, the GM invested. Yes. And that, that's one of the things like, we'll have to cover that one day too, is, is investment. How do you get your players Invest, yes. invested? How do you stay yourself invested? And, and, and we can like, it doesn't, again, you know, it does not have to be this, uh, this big overarching expensive thing. You don't have to spend hundreds or thousands of dollars on miniatures and, and lighting and sound equipment or anything like that. Yeah. It could just literally be a bunch of people in a van going somewhere with cell phones. And one of them turns around and goes, well, let's play a game. Yep. That, that is D and D that is gaming at its purest. And that's, that's, that's great. The fact that, you know, again, technology and all this, but in the end that you are still playing a game, the, you are sitting with people you enjoy, people, your, your friends, sometimes strangers that become like the, the game I run here. I didn't know any of these people before I sat down with them. Yeah. Uh, well, that's different now because I did have a friend show, but the, the original, like first four or five people that played in this game, I didn't know them from Adam. And now I'm like. I'll beat somebody up for my players. You don't mess Absolutely. with my. These are my guys. It's it's again. It's that it's that battle esque type bond. You know. It's the uh, for for those of you who because uh, the, there is the saying blood is thicker than water, which is often misquoted. The actual saying is the blood of camaraderie is thicker than the water of the womb, meaning the bonds you choose to forge with your friends and your comrades is stronger than those that you had no choice in making with your family. And I am a big and staunch believer in that. I believe that, yeah, the combat may be on a five, on a, you know, a one inch square grid piece of paper. The dragons may be made of resin and plastic and polyethane. And the, the player over there who is playing this massive eight foot barbarian may be a little four foot five blonde girl who's putting her heart into it. But at that moment, you guys are the heroes. This is your world. And to quote Mercer, how do you want to do this? And that is the moment where you just have to sit back and smile and go, this is why I run games. 100%. Uh, I think that's pretty much kind of closing to the end of it right there. It's- yeah, I believe, you know, we've touched on a lot of stuff. We actually found a lot of different directions we can uh, explore chase, in Chase many rabbit holes, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh Thank you guys so much for joining in with us on the, yeah, it was kind of a lot of a ramble fest. We chased some rabbit holes to use a parlay for a parlance from here in the South. But I think we got a lot of information given out there. Uh, we thank you for joining us. Um, there's a lot of these to come, hopefully. Uh, whatever you'll be listening to on this, whatever platform, when and wherever you hear it, we thank you for tuning in with us. Uh, James, anything else before we uh, shut her off? Um Love you guys. Stay safe. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Stay safe. Yeah. Uh, so to all the gods and goblins, deities and deviants out there, thank you all so very, very much. Uh, that was James the Bard Bardwell. I'm Kenneth Moffat, a.k.a. Southern D&D, wishing you all that whatever you do in this world and this week, may it be the stuff of legends and that those legends last the test of time. Thank you. Later. Later.